Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. You don't need to be shy. You can actually use the Blue Pew Bible and you can follow along. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is the very Word of God. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen! Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold. And a hundredfold. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, as we read your word, as we have your holy seed spread abroad amongst us, we pray that we would be receptive this morning. I ask that you would open hearts, that resistant hearts, hearts that have become calloused, would become broken up and receptive to your word. Lord, we thank you that your word goes forth here in this church as we have been praying your word, as we have been reflecting upon it as Jared led us, 
as we have been singing your word, even as DJ and his team led us. And now as we hear your word, we want to continue to worship you. We thank you that we're not the only church doing this. We thank you for churches all over Canada that are preaching your word. We thank you for Grace Cochran Church. We pray that you would help Pastor Gavin as he preaches out there this morning, that they would have receptive hearts for the word. We pray for Jeff and Aaron Jones as they begin this new ministry out in New Brunswick. We pray that they would be able to be ministers of the gospel and that Jeff would be able to help and plant a church there, even in New Brunswick, that people would be receptive in their hearts to the word of the gospel. Think of also the churches in Mississippi this morning that are helping the many people devastated by the tornado yesterday. We pray, Lord, that you would help those churches as they seek to minister to so many needs around them. Thank you, Lord, that even as we hear of the news of war between Ukraine and Russia, that there are churches in these places seeking to advance the gospel, churches and seminaries in Ukraine seeking to train people even in the midst of war and conflict. Thank you for Moscow Bible Church and the ministry of Evgeny Bakmuski and all the work that you're doing there as many people are coming to faith in Christ in Russia. Lord, we can forget these things that you are at work in many, many places, that the holy seed of your word is going forth broadcast and it is bearing much fruit. Lord, I pray that it would bear fruit among us, that it would bear fruit in this city, in this nation. Lord, we even pray for those leaders above us, even the the civic authorities at all levels of government. We pray that your holy seed would find in them good soil and that they would repent and be saved and believe the gospel. Lord, we do pray for peace in our country so that your word would go forth. Help us while we have these opportunities to spread your word, even as we anticipate the celebration of Jesus' resurrection from the dead at Easter, something we celebrate every Sunday. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to be prepared to spread your word, even amongst our friends and our families, our neighbors and our co-workers. We ask, Lord, that this word now would instruct our hearts and glorify your name, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Our text that I just read is, on the one hand, one of the most confusing things as well as one of the most clarifying teachings, if we can get it right. The confusion comes from this phenomenon. Why do professing Christians apparently stop being Christians? Do you know anybody like that? Lots of head nods. Why do people apparently, as the phrase goes, lose their salvation? 
Just like you might lose a set of keys or you misplaced your phone. Today, now, the phrase that's used, people will say, often very publicly, and in fact, often it's on Instagram, they will say they're deconstructing their faith. And they want you to know about it. Uh, They used to be an evangelical, for example. Why, why do people say that? Why do they, why do, why do they, they say even possibly that you talk to them and you, you know, get talking on the subject of religion and they'll say, oh, yeah, well, I'm a Lutheran. Or I'm a Baptist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm an Anglican. I'm a Catholic. Whatever they are. And yet, it's very clear to you and to them, they don't follow Jesus Christ. They have no real interest in him as following him as as a faithful servant. But they'll claim some kind of affiliation. I've heard people, I've read books even to this end, people saying, well, they're they're a Christian just of a different type. There was an author a number of years ago wrote a book on being a new kind of Christian. You know, it's something different. And I've also read, even in the last week, about people making a distinction between, yes, there's Christians, and then there's those that belong to toxic Christianity. Well, it's really confusing. Now, now, all of this, I mean, is really illustrated in our last sermon, last message we looked at in chapter 3, where we have then this picture of the 12 apostles, and who among them is chosen but Judas. Judas, who, who ended up betraying Jesus. Judas was so trusted that he could have the money bag. Judas, the guy you know, least likely to betray, he was the trustworthy one. Not him. And yet, we know he betrayed Jesus and forsook Jesus and is the language that is used by the theologian is an apostate, one who showed that they were never truly believing. And so this is part of the, part of the test. But, but why is there, why does this stuff happen? Why do people then they say, well, I'm not, I'm just, you know, yeah, I don't go to church anymore. I'm, I'm not a Christian anymore. Why does this happen? You know, sometimes we, we rack our brains. I've, I've met many people and they're in anguish about people in their families or their neighbors or friends or co-workers who maybe used to go to church and used to profess Christian faith and then they don't. And, and you have people racking their brains. What, what happened? Was it because of, uh, uh, it, did a Christian somehow hurt them? Somebody did something at church that, that hurt them? There's even a thing now called church hurt. And maybe you're here and you're, you're thinking, well, yeah, well, I, I know what church hurt is. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, Clint, you know, I'm going to talk to you afterwards about a little bit of your church hurt that I felt from you. Right? And if you, have, if you don't have anything to ask me, I'm sure there's somebody, there have been people that, you know, that, that I've hurt them. So I'm a sinner. I can hurt people too. Maybe it's because people get ashamed of associating with Christians. You know, oh, certain Christians are, 
are voting a certain way or certain Christians are advocating for certain political programs. I don't want to be associated with those Christians anymore. And so then they they say, well, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore then. Is it because maybe they just don't care? Maybe they just don't have a desire to follow Jesus anymore. And so then... It's all very confusing for people in the church, people who are following Jesus Christ, but how much more confusing for those, and that might be you this morning, maybe you're here for the first time, someone who is just for the first time considering the claims of Christ, and then they see, well, yeah, there's people that seem to be following Jesus, and then they don't. Is it a fad? Is it a phase? Is it a religious phase? So to answer all of this, we have to get the clarity from Jesus himself. This this is absolutely critical. If you're a Christian believer here, it's absolutely critical that you understand what Jesus is teaching here. Because it clarifies then so much of what is going to go on in your life church relationships, and in many of the relationships you will have with friends, family, neighbors, and so on, as they may have encounters with the gospel, encounters with the Christian church. Now, Jesus introduces us to two analogies, or or you could say one, but has two components. The first is this idea of the seed, the seed which is the Word of God. The Word of God in the Gospel in particular. In other words, it is a message that has features like a seed and then it is to be sown with a purpose. So that's the, that's the nature going on here. Now, there, that's one aspect. And then the other aspect of the analogy is the receptor of the seed, of course. It is the soil, the dirt. But this soil is actually, we could call it the... It's at the seat of all our affections, the the inner being. It is what we call the heart. Not talking like a surgeon talking about a heart. No, what's your inside? What is in you? What is down there where nobody else sees except God alone? And so, as we discern this, as we walk through this passage we see that Jesus is going to explain for us how to think about Christians, so-called, of, of different types. Christians, maybe, who are it, Christians in name only. Progressive Christians, born-again Christians. Are they all Christians? It is the fundamental question, what is a Christian? And more fundamentally, even if you aren't a, a Christian Today, nevertheless, we're being shown and put before us what is a real Christian versus what is then a former one or a false one. And that becomes very, very important for each soul here to consider. Now, what we're going to see is first then this holy seed. See this seed, this This seed, it says, verse 14, the sower sows what? The Word. The sower sows the Word. 
And thankfully, this word goes out with such power because it is sown by God. Now, I'm the preacher this morning, and you have to sit there and listen to me. Uh, Thank you for coming. Uh, I appreciate it. It's an encouragement to me. If nobody was here, maybe I'd quit. But no, there's people, you've come, it is an encouragement. And there is a sense in which, yes, I'm giving forth the word of God. But at the end of the day, I am not the one planting the word in your heart. I have no power to do that. I simply bring the word, but, but actually the sower, God the sower, is actually going to take his holy seed and plant it. But this is what he does with his word. You, you think about this, that God as a God of the word, God intends to grow his creation by his word, by, by speaking, you know, You think of all the religions in the world. Our God is a God who speaks. He speaks. Oh, well, it's so mysterious. How can you know know what God is thinking? Yeah, well, He's told us. He said. He said so. He speaks. By By the genesis of Genesis, by creating the creation, by communicating to make things to communicate with Himself. And that's where you come in. You can, you can engage with him. You can speak to him as he speaks to you. But he speaks by his word. Not, not in those little voices that you have. You know, that might just be based on having indigestion or something. He speaks by his word. This is the Holy Seed. James says you should receive it with meekness, he says, Receiving the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James 1.21 Now the key of this is whether we are receiving the Holy Seed. Are we open to it? Have we opened our hearts? And not even, even that is, like it's all metaphorical. How do I open what's inside? I don't, fit, I don't literally rip open my chest. But what it means is when God says something, instead of resisting it, I welcome it. To resist from the heart is to demand that God's word only comes on our terms, meeting our conditions, complying with our priorities. And you know how that goes, right? Because you read something in the Bible and it's like, I don't want to do that. I, I just don't want to do that. Love, love your enemies? Uh, I don't want to do that. Well, I'll love those enemies, but not that enemy. I don't, want, I don't want to obey. I don't want to be receptive to it at that point. I do not want to receive it. I would say this is also a reminder, though, of how, how uh, the guy even wrote a book on this, how do you walk into church? Well, put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Well, you, you walk into church, but how do you come to church? How do you prepare yourself to walk into church? You can actually pray and ask God to prepare your heart so that you are receptive to his word. That's just a small little spiritual discipline. And I'll tell you what, very practically, 
you'll get way more out of the service if you do. If you don't, then you will come and you will listen to me drone on and it will just like go over your head or just be dull and then you'll turn around and walk out and say, oh, okay, I was at church. I don't, you know, what was the sermon about? I don't know. <laughs> it was good because you're supposed to say that, right? It was a good one. What was it about? Well, I can't quite remember. But that's what you're, you're asking God to prepare your attention and openness of your heart to the word to the Holy Seed, the word of the gospel. Now what's interesting about what, what God does in the sower sowing this seed is that there is an indiscriminate broadcast. An indiscriminate broadcast. Do you know what I mean? In the ancient world, they didn't have you know, big air drills, big air seeders like we have out on the farm now. They just have a bag or a basket or a bucket and they just grab handfuls, and just throw it out. And, and you just kind of spread. And then you'd walk along, and eventually you would start covering your acres. But then that seed's going to go wherever it's going to go. And there's this indiscriminate broadcast. You're broad, it's a broadcast method of seeding. So it goes on four spots. The path, the rocky ground, the thorns, and then the good soil. Now, if the word, again, picking up this metaphor, if the Holy Seed is the word of God, then this is then the prospect that God offers his Holy Seed to everyone. To the path and to the good soil. To the rocky soil and to the good soil. To the thorns and to the good soil. It's, he gives it to all of it. The theologians call this the free offer of the gospel. The free offer of the gospel. Very important. And it's the point of contention that people might throw at you if you say you're a Calvinist. They might, they might say, oh well, if only certain people are predestined to heaven, why bother sharing the gospel? God already knows. But God actually gives all people not just here, but all people in Calgary and all people across the world, he gives them a sincere, free offer of the gospel to all people. God, of course, is able, hypothetically, to save the whole world. The atonement of Jesus is certainly sufficient for all everywhere across time. But then the question is, why are not all saved? Well, it's because they're closed to the gospel. And nevertheless... Christ secured his own elect, his own chosen, and he died for them with a special particular love. So the free offer of the gospel is only embraced by the elect, by what we'll find out is the good soil. Christ's washing of sins is only effective for those objects of his special electing love. For example, Acts 13, 48, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. But that offer is there. It's, it's, it's out there. Now there's going to be people, even people this morning, who reject that gracious offer and they expose themselves. Kind of like the poet John Milton in describing Satan, Satan's mentality and paradise loss. And Satan said he would rather rule in hell 
than serve in heaven. Right? And that's the way a lot of people think. I, I don't, I don't want to be a servant. I don't want to be anybody's slave. I don't want to be... I don't want to be a servant of the Lord in heaven. I'd rather be a ruler in hell. But it doesn't matter as far as the free offer of the gospel. That's not the, the free offer of the gospel is even for these people that will reject. It's, it's been put out there. So whether the path is it's the path, the rocky ground, the thorny ground, or the good soil, we know John 3.16 famously. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever, whosoever, if you will, whoever, that's indiscriminate broadcast, whoever it is, whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, not all believe. But the free offer of the gospel is presented to them. John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So there is a free offer to all. And that's why each Sunday, even if someone comes here, they've never been here before, have no interest in Christianity prior to this, nevertheless, we want to make sure that the offer of the gospel is presented to every soul that comes here Because that is the intention of the sower. To sow the holy seed indiscriminately. Now it's important though, you're not qualified by having a good heart in order to come to Jesus. You're qualified because Jesus sows the seed among all people. It's not because you're a good person. He just graciously, with undeserved favor, offers his holy word. Imagine this in Canada. I was, talk, I was talking with a brother from Syria. I mean, Munir Alaji, pastor in Calgary, but he's from Syria. And he just, he, he just, he just marvels at the privileges that we have in Canada. And I would say the privileges to hear God's word in Canada And yet, our churches are all still small and few. Relatively small and few. The Holy Seed is on offer on indiscriminate broadcast. Here it is. God's Word. Here it's for you. You can come and hear it. Eh, I got stuff to do. It couldn't be bothered in Canada. Well, that's why it's, it's significant when you're coming with appreciation for this holy seed. It's a special thing. And so I'm glad that you are hearing it. But that's, that's, a, that's a key. It's the free offer of the gospel. He sows indiscriminately. You've got to be clear on that. But then there's a major question. Why? Why does God do it? Why does the sower sow? Ever think about that? Why does he bother? Well, so of course, it's only because of his grace, only because of his kindness, only because of his choice. Verse 3, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Well, if he's going out to sow, if he's going to plant the crop, there has to be some kind of expectation. You know, so it's, it's funny. Farmers are some of the most, like, 
strangely hopeful people. Like I say strangely, because they're going to spend a lot of money, put that money in the ground, and unless it rains, there's no prospect of anything happening to it. So they basically, you know, get rid of their cash, it's gone, and then they look and look at the clouds all summer. It's not quite like that, but if it doesn't rain, it doesn't matter how clever that, that farmer is. It ain't going to grow. And this is the thing. There's an expectation of either fruitfulness, there's going to be a crop, or there's going to be some other kind of fulfillment. This is really important. So there's two things God's doing. There's either going to be fruitfulness coming out of this or fulfillment. Either the seed will bear fruit or the lack of fruit will actually be a fulfillment of a destined judgment. So it's actually a little bit of a scary thing to have the Holy Seed come to you. Because if you receive it on the one hand, oh, awesome, there's going to be fruitfulness. But if you don't, it's going to expose Expose the fact that your heart has been closed off and you are under God's judgment. Verses 10 through 12 give us the purpose of the parables. They either bring about fruitfulness or verse 11. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. There's that fruitfulness. Or there's fulfillment. Verse 11b. But for those outside, everything is in parables. In other words, it's a filter. The parables are a filter. The parables, on the one hand, reveal the fruitfulness. On the other hand, they expose the fulfillment of judgment. That's why sometimes we think of the parables as just these nice stories that Jesus told. They were a dividing line that he was putting into every person's life. He says, verse 11, verse 12, the purpose, so that, and then he's got a quotation, they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now that's, that's, that's basically... The theologians call that in the Old Testament when the prophets did it. They call that a judicial hardening. There's a judgment here, and we're going to actually harden you hard and fast into your category of being under God's judgment. The verse is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 6. You know Isaiah 6 where Isaiah has that spectacular vision of the glory of God in the temple? And Isaiah, by seeing the holiness and the glory of God, is, his sin is exposed. And then there's a purging and a cleansing of his sin in that. And after that, then there's a commission. It's the part of Isaiah 6 a lot of people don't read. But in that commissioning, it's Isaiah's commission as a prophet. And he's got this commission. And the commission is this intention to confront Israel, just like Jesus is doing, to confront them with this filter, to confront them and actually show that they are destined for judgment because of their hardness of heart. 
They may indeed see, but not perceive, indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. They, God is judging them. This is what Jesus is doing in the parable of the sower, and in all the parables. He is bringing a judgment on the people who are hearing him. And so that commissioning from Isaiah is taken over by Jesus here. And it's, a, it's that specific kind of con, con, commission to confront the sin of Israel so that their sin is confirmed and judgment fulfilled. And so this then sets the offer of the gospel in its proper context. It's this generous broadcast of God's word to everyone, and yet there's fruitfulness in some places, but then there's fruitlessness in places that ought to know better. And I think if you look around in your families and your acquaintances, and sometimes you probably shake your head at people where there is no fruit and they ought to know better. Because they had a chance to hear the holy seed and they hardened their heart against it. It's lamentable. But it's also a little bit of a warning here. Right? It's a warning. Um, you know, I did the members class before in Sunday school. You know, I'm supposed, to, and obviously in a members class, you're supposed to tell how wonderful our church is. Oh, well, we want you to come and be a part of our church. It's all great. And it's all wonderful here. And we, we're, we're all lovely people. And we have no problems whatsoever. And, you know, it's a recruitment session, right? No, I, I don't do it like that. But you would think that would be what it's like. And yet the irony is each time when you hear the word, you are being challenged. Am I going to open my heart to God's word? Or am I going to resist God's word? And that is a key thing. So each time, each time you're receiving the word, you've got to think, where, where is my heart at in relationship to the Lord as I'm hearing this? So Jesus is echoing Isaiah. That's a really important thing. So it's not just Jesus coming up with this stuff. He's trying to recapitulate the role of Isaiah to God's people, to Israel. And, and this imagery of the sower is directly connected to the imagery of a plant or a vine which is planted. And so there's all kinds of Old Testament imagery that's connected to God planting Israel as his, as his planting, as his field, and yet there's a crop failure. It, it's just, it's a disaster. So just listen to a few of these. This first one relates to the Bible studies that are going on from Hosea. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 1. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. Okay, what kind of fruit? The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his, as his country improved, he improved his Pillars, that is, idolatrous pillars. What Hosea is getting at is Israel, as things went well, it became more idolatrous, not worshiping the God, their true God, and turning away from him. Or Isaiah chapter 5, 
O now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Not what I intended, as it were, metaphorically speaking. Isaiah 5, 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. And last one from Jeremiah 2.21. God says, yet I planted you, that is Israel, I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Well, that's the Old Testament context where the prophets had confronted those who claimed to be God's people. And Jesus is doing the exact same thing. He's confronting those who claim to be God's people. And he's saying, actually, I don't know about this. Because are you going to receive the message of Jesus or not? Because if you're closed off, then you can't go thinking that you're okay. Jesus broke onto the scene, the Son of Man bringing the Holy Seed to be sown in the hearts of Jews and Gentiles. And the great thing, though, the encouraging thing in all of this is that the holy seed must produce its destined purpose. Like, it just, it, it, it's, not, it's not a case that the seed doesn't work. The seed always works because the seed will either become fruitful or it will bring about this fulfillment to expose the soil of the sinning heart. You know, as kind of for myself, I did lots of, you know, I farmed many acres over the years, seeded many, many crops. And I was always amazed when I was in it, you know, I'd be going along in the tractor and you got, you know, all this premium seed that you're putting out. And, and I'd be going along where there's wheat or barley, you go along and you seed this crop. And there'd be, like, after you seed it, then you would see it grow. And there would be spots that they would grow taller. And you're like, I don't know why, it, why it's taller there. It must be good soil there. <laughs> you know, because it, it's the same stuff. I planted it at the same depth, it was at the same rate. It was the same seed. But it's taller in this spot. Must be really good soil. And then there'd be other areas of the field and you'd have plowed it. You could see you made the tracks. You could see the seed had been put out. I could even go and look and dig for it. And Yeah, the seed's there. The seed was put out, and nothing grew there. Nothing. The soil was alkaline. And it, would, it wouldn't allow the seed to germinate, even though it was the same seed that the rest of the field had. Now, it's interesting that the only way that you could change the alkaline soil and make it new soil, make it fertile, is you had to add lots of manure. I don't know how that fits in the analogy. I'll have you work that out. <laughs> if I try to do it, I might really get into trouble, so just leave it at that. 
The thing is, the bad heart is changed by the miracle of being granted a new heart. As the prophet Ezekiel spoke of in a couple of different places, particularly in, verse, in chapter 36, God promised to take away the heart of stone and replace it with a new heart, a heart of flesh. So there has to be a soil or a heart transplant. Now, the second point that we've seen then is just showing us in more detail what is exposed by this different kinds of heart soil. But the point is the holy seed is never wasted. Now, let's think about this heart, this heart soil. I mentioned this, my little analogy with the farming. Where is that word supposed to go? We do have to kind of see specifically where is it going. We've already hinted at it. It's, it's, it's not entering through the fingers. It's not entering through the eyes. If there is a gate for this holy seed to enter, Bunyan would say it's the ear gate. Now, does it mean that we just have to have the correct information, get the correct information for our intellect? Well, no. Shouldn't bypass the intellect. There's no such thing as bypassing the intellect. But it is intended to be sown in the core of your being, in the soil of your heart. John Flavel, the Puritan, said of the heart, he said, it is the seat of principles and the fountain of actions. The eye of God is fixed upon it, and the eye of the Christian ought to be principally fixed upon it. Now you notice in, in this series, you notice where the word is placed. Verse 15, the word that is sown in them. Uh, verse 16, they hear the word immediately, receive it with joy. Or verse 19, the desires of other things enter in. In where? Well, in the heart. And choke the word. But the condition of the heart soil then is so critical. Think for a second about this path, the pathway. What is the path representing? The path is representing a hard, unyielding heart. There is no opportunity to receive the Holy Seed into that heart. It is just hard. And what, what happens when somebody has that kind of a hard heart, they're actually very vulnerable to Satan. Now, we learned before how Satan is bound. But that doesn't mean he's not active through all of his different agents to actually take away this holy seed. I think if Satan wasn't bound, even the, even the good soil wouldn't be able to get the holy seed of the word. And so this is that you put yourself in a vulnerable position if your, hard, your heart is hardened and unyielding to this holy seed. And I would just characterize the pathway heart as someone who says, I'm not interested. I'm just not interested. You, you've invited them to church. I, I'm just not interested. I don't, I don't even want to, I don't even, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to entertain it. I don't want to think about it. I'm just not interested. Somebody drags them to church or they're at a funeral or a wedding. I, I can spot them. They're the one, they're getting up and they're, gone, they're, they're in the hallway messing around in the foyer doing something else. 
because they don't even want, they're not even interested in allowing themselves the possibility to receive that word. They're not interested. That's the pathway. The second one is the rocky ground. Verse 5. This is, this is hard ground, but it has apparently receptive gaps. And it's kind of a bit of a deception. It's kind of a deceived heart. Because it's that brief reception that squeezes God's holy seed. It squeezes it into the gaps of the heart. But overall, the heart is hard and unyielding. That's why it's tricky. You think, oh, what? they're receiving it. But yeah, not really. And verses 16 and 13, when tribulation or persecution come on account of that word, it dries up. And there are many, many people, many people who have then had an encounter with the church, with the gospel, with Christianity, with Christian people, in Christian circles, and they will come and they will, they will take an initial interest But in their heart, even if they don't articulate it, in their heart, they're basically saying this, I'm going to see if this meets my standards. I'm going to see if this meets my standards. Does this meet my needs, my criteria? Which is to say, I'm hard and resistant to anything that I don't want. I'm the one who determines that. I'm not actually really open and yielding myself. I've given a couple of gaps. Let's try this. But I'm not giving it too much, too much space. That's the rocky ground. Hard and unyielding with these gaps that then dry up as soon as there's persecution or tribulation. Because, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I'm, I'm not into this. this I, I didn't sign on for this. I don't want this. Now, the, thorn, the thorny ground is a little different, verse 7. This is not a hard heart, but this is a crowded heart. It's not a hard heart, but it's a crowded heart. And this is really confusing for many of us because that heart seems to be receptive for a season. It takes the holy seed and it gets excited. And you can get excited. And if the church is wanting to have lots of excited people, it can just kind of get those folks in. Yep, yep, they're, they're into it. They're, they're kind of into a religious phase now. They're excited. The problem with the crowded heart is that it refuses to receive the Holy Seed exclusively. It wants the Holy Seed. Sure, yeah. I'm excited about Jesus. Jesus is great. But I also want this relationship. Or I want this pursuit of this career. Or I want these things. Or I want these pleasures. Or I want this acceptance. Or I want this security. Or I want this comfort as well. Remember when I was going to seminary, I met a man on the train. After talking and sharing the gospel with him at the end of it, he said, I just don't think that I can have your Jesus and keep my homosexuality. He, 
he, he wanted to have both. And he, at that point, it seemed maybe he wasn't, didn't have a hard heart, but he had a crowded heart, and he was refusing to take Jesus exclusively. This heart is the one that refuses to receive Christ alone and instead wants Christ and pleasure and leisure and power and status. Not a hard heart, but a crowded heart. This heart is the one that never prays, Psalm 86, 11, unite my heart to fear your name. No, no. It's like I'm going to give you uh, 10% of my heart for Jesus and then we're going to give all the rest of it 90% of my other stuff. No. Of course, what happens, verse 18, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for, and I think this is a great phrase, the desire for other things, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful chokes it with other things. It, it, it just can be anything. It's just stuff. Other things. Other things that then those things are what I want and Jesus, eh, it, Jesus is kind of cramping my style. Sure, I like Jesus. I've talked to people who refuse, who refuse to give up their sin, and they will still tell me, oh yeah, I still like Jesus. And I'm just thinking, well, the, the Jesus that you claim, that's, that's a nice interlude, not to embarrass you. Just got it, we just got to comment on it, just so we get past it. Um, it's an awful thing to think that you would, that, that you would, want to embrace your sin and think that you could still have Jesus. And yet, so many people are that way because they've got, they've got these receptive but crowded hearts. They just want it all. And if the path was the person who says, nah, I'm not interested, if the rocky ground was the person who said, nah, I'll see if it meets my standards, then the thorny heart is the one who says, I'm going to keep my options open. I'm going to keep my options open. You know, and I've seen it many, many times. People show an initial interest. They're, they're so interested in studying the Bible and being at church, being a part of everything, and then there'll be a switch, and then they'll say, hmm, I'd like to actually study some other Christian traditions and maybe some other religions, and, and eventually... You know, their hearts just fill with other things. They're just on to the next thing. And it was just a phase. It was just one, one plant among many. It wasn't the holy seed bearing fruit. And that's the key. That's the key for all you teenagers in this church, all you young people, all you couples or people looking to get married, all you people trying to think through all of these issues as things change, is what are the competitors in your heart? Because as time goes on, it will be exposed. And there are only two kinds of soil. There's the fruitful soil and the unfruitful. See, that's, 
those three that I said, the path, rocky ground, and the thorns, it's really only one kind. It's that unfruitful heart soil. This is the whole indictment against Israel that went back to Deuteronomy. This is the simple fact about such polluted hearts. Deuteronomy 29.4 To this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. And what does Jesus say in verse 9? See it there? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's what's being exposed right there. So Jesus said repeatedly in his, in his ministry, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he's exposing that. And the parables were a way to expose or reveal whether or not God had done that miraculous work in the heart. It's to see, did God do that work? Did, do, did God put the manure in the heart? There's the analogy. doesn't really work. The miraculous heart work. Yeah. Don't, don't meditate on that one. Uh, I mean, there, Paul says, there is none that, do, that does good. Not one, Romans 3.12, quoting Psalm 13. So only God is able to change the heart. But the parables reveal it. They expose it. Solzhenitsyn, the dissident who was imprisoned in the Soviet Union, said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. This is why Jesus preached in the parables. His preaching had an effective work of exposing the heart. The the parables from the mouth of our Lord were sort of a, a spiritual heart monitor. And when we recognize that every heart is corrupt and all the heart soil is polluted, we need to admit that the Savior is very gracious in His sowing, gracious to send His holy seed, but we also see our plight. We have to have a change to our heart heart soil or it'll seem like the Holy Seed is wasted. But the Holy Seed is never wasted. It's never wasted. Isaiah 55, 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, they do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Well, that brings us then simply to the miracle of a changed heart. And it's illustrated by the fruitful soil, those, verse 20, who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. The holy seed in the good heart, the good heart soil, must bear fruit. And I'm going to tell you, if you're discouraged this morning as a Christian, take heart. If God has saved you and planted His holy seed and given you the miracle of a heart that can bear fruit, He will bear fruit. He will change you. He will transform you. It will happen. It's guaranteed. It's a certainty. John 12, 23. Jesus answered him, 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and what? Dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. The miracle of heart soil change is called regeneration. Regeneration. In a different metaphor in John 3, it's called being born Again, even born from above. Only a regenerate heart can believe. John Flavel said, The heart of man is his worst part before it is regenerated and the best afterward. Rutherford said, and I quote it many times, To believe is a miracle, for a sinner to believe is two miracles. Friends, as I bring it to a close, I'm hoping that you will see from this passage a way of clarifying your confusion. Many people think that short-term church engagement, spiritual interest, theological fascination, that means that a person has become a Christian. Whole churches and denominations and movements are built on this premise. But according to Jesus' teaching, this is a false premise. It's only those people who receive Christ sincerely, who believe obediently, who repent hopefully, who follow joyfully, those people are truly saved. True, char- true Christians are characterized by Ephesians 5.8. For at one time you were, you were darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This is all heart work. Heart work. Listen to the heart soil source of the fruits of the Spirit. You should. Probably know these. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The appearance of Christian interest and excitement and commitment can fade quickly. It can expose a hard heart. It can expose a crowded heart. There is no sense that people lose their salvation or even deconstruct their faith. They are only those whose initial premise for receiving the Holy Seed was inevitably challenged. When it was challenged, that person didn't want to yield to the Word or he didn't want to yield to the Word exclusively and give up yielding to other things. And as 1 John 2.19 said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they would have been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. But what about a person who sees all this? You're hearing the free offer of the gospel, but you're worried. You're sitting there and you're worried. Because you're thinking, yeah, well, if my heart's impossibly corrupt and polluted, how can I be saved? How can I be fruitful? Is there any hope? Of course there's hope. 
John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So come to him. Come to him. You're sitting here. Maybe you've been coming weekly, but you're not saved. Come to him. Ask him to give you a new heart. Ask him to regenerate the soil of your soul. Ask him to clear away all the competitors of your heart. Ask him to break up your fallow ground. Ask him to make you willing. Make me willing to obey you. Psalm 51.12 Come to him in dependence for the holy seed and for the heart soil regeneration and trust him for the fruit. Jesus said, I am, the, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. May God send his holy seed and do a miracle in your heart today. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for your kindness to us. O oh Lord, do a miracle in our hearts that we would receive your word and be fruitful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.